Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Sports Soapbox, our very first episode for all you great listeners out there. My name is Connor Smith, and I am joined right now by my co-host and good friend Thomas Kuhn. Thomas, how are things right now, and how's life been treating you? Eh, I'm living that lake life right now. It's weird. I'm finally, finally back with my family, so that's been good, but not terrible. That That's good to hear, obviously. I... So for those of you who don't know, I go to school at Ball State University, which is in Muncie, Indiana, and I live right outside of Chicago. So I've actually been home since March um, when most colleges throughout the throughout the country got sent home because of the coronavirus. But um, with that being said, I am going back tomorrow to campus and classes for us start on Monday. So, I, you know, I don't really know what to feel about that because on one end, I'm kind of excited for a change of scenery, kind of, you know, to go back to school to get that familiar feeling, but it's going to look a whole lot different. Everyone's going to be wearing masks, you know, living in the dorms. I'm, you know, still not, or still not exactly sure how that's going to work, but we'll wait and see. Everything's a little different right now. But anyways, this is a sports podcast. And for those of you who are unaware, Thomas and I have known each other pretty well for a good amount of time now. And we've had a lot of interesting conversations throughout the years surrounding, you know, some of our local sports teams. And that's really been a specialty of our conversations. So before we dive into our topics for today, Thomas, just to kind of set the record here, where do your allegiances lie for each sporting league? So start off. um, So with hockey, Hawks fan, not, I'm not happy about the playoffs this year, but it is what it is. Um, for and I also am a big sports fan. I'm a big fire fan. Uh, for baseball, definitely a huge college fan. Just kind of grew up with it. And basketball is the one that I actually differentiate from most of the people, and I actually say that I'm a Bucks fan. And for football, NFC, I'm a Bears fan. AFC, I'm a Chiefs fan. How about you, Connor? Those are some good picks right there. Hockey, I do agree with you. Big Chicago Blackhawks fan. Like you said, I'm not exactly happy with what happened the other night, but I'll take it. I thought it was a really good run. I was really happy with what they did in that Edmonton series. You know, losing to Vegas in five was something that I was kind of expecting just because Edmonton's a lot like the Hawks, you know, they play that fast and finesse style, whereas Vegas, they, they're a little more defensive heavy and they shut them down pretty easily, but I'll take it. I thought it was a good run. Baseball, I am a Chicago White Sox fan. We started out the season, it, w- it was a little rough. We were 11-11 and 11, uh, this past Saturday, but they've been really turning it on lately. They're 15-11 and 11 right now. They just won this afternoon, and so I'd say overall it's been a nice season. Football, NFC, the Chicago Bears, like you, and then the AFC, the Indianapolis Colts. That's a team I've kind of taken to over the past few years, you know, living in Indiana during the school year and going to some games. And then for basketball, that is probably the one sport that I follow the least. But for me, it's probably, at the end of the day, a toss-up between the Pacers, the Indiana Pacers, that is, and the Chicago Bulls. But overall, just uh, like you, a pretty big sports fan. 
And even as the coronavirus pandemic remains widespread here in the United States, believe it or not, the majority of professional leagues have returned to action in some format. Major League Soccer was really the first one to do that, um, having their MLS's back tournament last month. And last week, they just began an abbreviated season outside of their bubble and in their home stadiums. Um, The MLB obviously began a 60-game season in late July, whereas the NBA and the NHL are in the middle of their postseasons right now. And the NFL is still set to kick off in September. Thomas, I guess, first of all, what have been your major takeaways from each week's return to action here so far? And just to have sports back, I mean, over the past month, watching your favorite teams again, what have been some of your favorite moments? Definitely one of the things that caught my attention early on was the just the way that I guess the way that the MLB did everything differently and they didn't really have that bubble style that was very and then seeing that contrasted versus the bubble style that you saw from like the MLS the NHL the NBA mm-hmm. and did you see how well and did you see like the difference with how COVID was affecting the case counts that was definitely that was one of the things that was first really an eye-opener and I don't know. It's just like it's been good to see, and it definitely feels like it's a re- like things are somewhat starting to return to normal, which I definitely is think has been a good thing. Although one of my I will say one of my biggest takeaways I haven't really seen too much basketball just because I've been busy and I don't track that schedule too much. But one of the things that I noticed at least with the NHL is. These guys came back to play. Like that, like they aren't taking this, um, these pl- like this playoff for granted. Absolutely. I mean, I probably have to agree with you there. I I do agree with you. I haven't seen that much basketball, and that's just because, you know, I'm a bigger kind of a bigger uh, hockey and baseball fan, which I alluded to earlier. And it's just when all these sports are going on at once, you know, you can't exactly pay attention to every little thing that's going on. But I guess for me, um, first of all, having baseball back, I think, is huge. I haven't, throughout my life, I haven't really always, or I should say, I wasn't really always a big baseball fan, but it's something I've really taken to over the the past four or five years, I guess, you know, going to some more games. Unfortunately, I can't do that this year. But just to be able to, you know, turn on my TV during the summer and see a ball game, like, it doesn't matter if it's my team or not, just to have that on in the background where, you know, maybe I'm doing work, maybe I'm working on something or doing whatever, just to kind of have that ambience, I think is really nice. And like you said, it does bring a lot of that normalcy. And then I, I guess with having the NHL back during the summer and the way they were able to pull this off, I think is phenomenal, you know, getting teams, not just in the U S but Canada going to Toronto and Edmonton and, getting them all into the bubble and with hockey like I had a lot of questions on how they were going to pull this off you know hockey is a contact sport it's physical guys are hitting on each other beating up on each other but they were able to make it into the bubble virus free so props to commissioner Gary Bettman on that and you're right they're just they're having fun out there you know they're going at it they're going hard and unfortunately we saw what happened this weekend with Tuka Rask dropping out of the bubble due to um, family reasons and concerns. But I think for the most part, just to be able to have these games on all day, really, I think it's just great. And it's made me realize that, hey, this isn't something we can take for granted again. So 
I guess, like I said, most professional leagues have returned, but mind you, some have had more obstacles handling the virus compared with others. And so while the MLS and the NHL and the NBA are playing in these bubble environments, the MLB and right now, um, three weeks prior to the season, the NFL are still, they are still planning on playing in their home cities, but probably without fans. And the MLS, when they started this, they, you know, they went into the bubble in Florida and they saw two teams drop out of the tournament at first, but they were able to complete it. And the, you know, the rest of the tournament was a success. And so, like I said, the NHL and the NBA, they've had no problem putting them in the bubble. Zero positive cases among players over the last four weeks or so, in addition to coaches and other personnel. But that said, Major League Baseball has had its obstacles. And this isn't really the most newsworthy, but the Miami Marlins and the St. Louis Cardinals, two teams that had to postpone a handful of their games for an extended period of time with uh, the Marlins shutting down their season for a week back in late July and then the Cardinals pausing their season a few days after on July 31st, only up until last Saturday, August 15th. And again, both of those are due to coronavirus outbreaks. And, you know, when you're not in the bubble, when you're still traveling, even if you kind of are confined to the hotel, at the end of the day, guys still have a little more freedom and they're able to go more places, do more things. So I think this is kind of inevitable. And this is just in actually the New York Mets game tonight against the Miami Marlins in Miami, Florida has been postponed uh, due to two Mets players testing for the coronavirus. I believe John Heyman of MLB Network was the first to record that. But that being said, um, the Marlins and the Cardinals, they are going to try to make up as many games as possible, as most of you know. And so I think the return of sports and baseball is great, but you know, it has raised questions for the NFL's return coming next month and whether or not we could see a similar outbreak where, you know, a team might have a week or two off just if they have a lot of guys get test positive. So I guess what are your thoughts on, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but how the different leagues are handling this return to play? And at the end of the day, do you find the bubble method to be effective? I definitely, I do, I do think the bubble method is effective. Well, well, and as you've kind of seen with the differences between like between the um like MLB MLS or no not MLB um MLS NHL NBA you've seen that there's been little to no or at least with the NHL and NBA there's been little to no uh, cases so I definitely do think it is. It is working, but outside of that, I mean, although, because then the counterpoint to it's also just logistically, it's a lot harder for MLB to do the same kind of thing, just because their schedules are so packed in. So, while I do think it is a good idea, I do also see why the MLB did it the way that they did. Yeah, I think you raised some good points there. Again, it's with football starting up, hopefully in the next few weeks. And then eventually, if the NHL and the NBA are able to play next season, it might be difficult to do that bubble because, you know, you want to play as close to a full schedule. And so at the end of the day, well, you can try to pack, I guess, a bunch of teams into one city, which has been fine. I think to kind of play out a full season as opposed to a playoffs where you maybe only have four or five games a day, I think that's a little easier. 
But anyways, let's get into our first topic of the day. And we're going to be starting off with the MLB here. Um, Like I said, the season got underway four weeks ago. And while there have been outbreaks, there have been a handful of games postponed, mainly due due to the virus, the season is still in full swing right now. And so I kind of wanted to break down um, each division and we'll start off in the AL and then move our way into the NL and just give some observations, some surprises, some disappointments. So to run down the standings here, AL East, the Tampa Bay Rays are on top of that division with a 17-9 and record. Half game behind is um, the New York Yankees, who are 16-9. and The two teams played each other this week, actually, in New York with the Rays taking that series and sweep, actually sweeping them, I believe. I know they won today. Um, following them are the Toronto Blue Jays, 11-11, Baltimore Orioles, 12-12, 12 12, Boston Red Sox, 7-18, AL Central, Minnesota Twins, 16-9, Cleveland Indians, again, half game behind, 15-9, so really close there. Chicago White Sox, 15-11, had a phenomenal win today. Um, Lucas Giolito, their ace, he looked absolutely great out there. I think 12... 12 or 13 strikeouts, I believe, through seven innings. We'll get to that later. Kansas City Royals, 10 and 15. Detroit Tigers, 9 and 14. And then the AL West, Oakland A's are leading that division 17 and 8. The Houston Astros, 14 and 10. The Texas Rangers, 10 and 13. The Los Angeles Angels, 8 and 17. And the Seattle Mariners, 8 and 18. So I guess when I look at the when I look at the standings and the bigger picture here. You know, there aren't really that many teams that I think have surprised me on the positive end. I mean, I think it was teams like the Orioles and the Tigers. They had hot starts, and no one was really expecting much of them this year. And looking at the standings, they've kind of fallen down to earth. Orioles have lost four in a row, and then the Tigers have lost nine in a row, one and nine in the last ten, and um, the White Sox just swept them this past week. But I think... I think looking at the bigger picture here, I don't know about you, Thomas, but there aren't, I think this is what a lot of us predicted, to be honest. Yeah, there's not, there's not really any, there weren't really, really any like that were overly surprising. I mean, the fact that, you know, Miami is competitive somewhat is a bit surprising in of itself, even though they have, even though they are so behind on games and they're going to have to play catch up. So that's going to, that's going to make things a little more interesting there. I think, um, I, the one thing that kind of surprised me is Houston's not just running away with the ALS. And I'm, and I'm pretty sure I said like that was the Astros division to lose. And right now they're doing a pretty good job of that. And two, and two and a half back, and they. I I know recently they've had injuries to their staff, so they're definitely they're getting tested now. But no, outside of that, yeah, no, you nailed it on the head. It's been about what everybody predicted. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, going back to the ALS, the Houston Astros are fourteen and ten right now. And a big loss for them was, I think, losing Justin Verlander that opening weekend. Obviously, he's he might be done for the season. You still have Zach Ranky, who is a veteran and can get a lot of innings for you. So at the end of the day, I still do think they're a playoff team. They have still such a very scary lineup at the end of the day. But 
the Oakland A's being at the top of that division with a 17 and 8 record. To be honest with you, I don't I don't find that to be as surprising as a lot of people do think. I think they they don't get a lot of attention obviously because they, you know, they play in a smaller market. They're on the West Coast, but they have a very nice lineup. Matt Chapman has been I think one of the game's more underrated players these past few years. Add that into the mix with Matt Olson, Marcus Semyon, uh, Ramon Laureano, so it is very powerful, and they have a very nice staff, actually. Uh, Frankie Montas is their number one right now, former White Sox prospect, prospect actually, followed by guys like Shabaniah, Jesus Lizardo, guys who are still kind of younger, maybe still have a lot more to prove, but at the end of the day, can go out there and win ball games for you, and they have a really nice bullpen with Liam Hendricks leading the way. I guess to quickly hit on the other divisions here, the the Minnesota Twins sixteen and nine, Indians fifteen and nine. Um, again, two teams that I guess were kind of the favorites in that division. Uh, may, maybe the White Sox to some extent, but I I don't think again I don't think that's very surprising. The Twins have just they just have so much power. I mean, Nelson Cruz is what like forty years old right now, and that first weekend, even though this was back in late July, absolutely killed us on being the White Sox that weekend and they have you know they they have a they have a decent enough staff nothing that's going to blow you out of the water especially compared to Cleveland but I think they should take that division ultimately and then the east I, I don't know Tampa we know they're kind of like Oakland they have a really solid nice young core a, a lot of good young players throughout their lineup and the rotation you know Blake Snell Charlie Morton that's Tyro Glass now, that's a one, two, three punch. That is gonna win you a lot of bowl games, but I think I think it is gonna come down at the end of the day, honestly, between the Rays and the Yankees. I mean, New York's been hit hard lately by the injury bug. Um Aaron Judge, DJ LeMayhew, um, Stanton, Glaber Torres, I, I believe are all on the DL right now, and we know the depth that they have. They did it last year, but I don't know. I think it is gonna be a very interesting race. Uh real quickly here to touch on the NL. NL East, um, Atlanta Braves are at the top of that division, 14 and 11. Marlins, 9 and 9, which you hit on earlier. The New York Mets, 12 and 14. Philadelphia Phillies, 9 and 11. Washington Nationals, 9 and 12. Central Chicago Cubs, 16 and 8. Milwaukee Brewers, 11 and 11. St. Louis Cardinals, 6 and 7. Cincinnati Reds, 10 and 12. And Pittsburgh Pirates, 4 and 16. Wow. Uh, and then the West, the L.A. Dodgers, 18-8, and eight. Colorado Rockies, 13-11, San Diego Padres, 14-12, Arizona Diamondbacks, 13-12, and finally the San Francisco Giants, 10-16. Thomas, um, anything that jumps out to you when we're looking at the NL? Well, well, and as I kind of mentioned, Miami, but that's also not a big sample size. Right. Ultimately, so I want to give that more. I want to give that more time. But the one thing that jumped out to me was the start that the Cubs had, going what was it, thirteen and three in their first sixteen. Just like seeing that and being a Cubs fan, seeing that, and we'll we'll touch on it more. But I honestly, I thought well, and a lot of people were saying before the season that. That division that the uh, NL Central was going to be competitive, but it's interesting to see like how it's how it's playing out, and how it's basically turned into their division to lose. 
Yeah, I think I think you raised an interesting point there looking at the NL Central. I I do think the Cubs should win that division even if they get into a bit of a bumpy road which they they kind of have lately although they played a doubleheader yesterday to the St. Louis Cardinals, lost that first game but came back and won the second game and by the way, quick disclaimer for you guys, we are recording right now Thursday, August 20th, so um, by the time this gets out, things might change a little, but we're looking at the standings as of right now. In that division, I mean, the looking at the other teams, the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're, they're an afterthought. Ultimately, Cincinnati Reds, 10-12. and 12. I did expect a little more from them this year. Uh, Nick Castellanos has been their big bat. He's had a really nice season, but the production in that lineup does kind of drop off afterward, and their bullpen hasn't really looked like you know what we thought it was going to be although Trevor Bauer has had a very nice season leading that rotation, could maybe even win the Cy Young. And then the other two teams, I mean, the St. Louis Cardinals, 6-7. and seven. Again, it's a game below 500, but they've played so few games in comparison to other teams that it's such a small sample size. And then the Milwaukee Brewers, who are 11-11. and 11. This might surprise some people, but I think 500 is where I expect them to be. They have... They have a decent enough rotation with, you know, Brandon Woodruff, uh, Adrian Hauser, who are good starters who can get you some wins here and there. But the lineup, once you get past Christian Yellick, and he, I think he is kind of rounding into form based on what I've seen, but he just did not look good at all to start the season. I think he, if I'm not mistaken, won in something in the range for, you know, one for 27 to open the year. So with, the 2018 NL MVP, that's not numbers you want to see from him. So he's going to really have to step it up here if they want to maybe make a push and take the Cubs for that division. And then the other two divisions, I did expect a little more from the NL East. You know, the Mets, the Nationals, and the Phillies are all below 500 right now. I think that's ultimately kind of, um, you know, kind of surprising just given the fact that, yes, the Nationals won the World Series last year but looking at the team they have you know Scherzer Strasburg those are two aces that they have and they've been looking okay this year but I think you expect a little more from them just because they have the lineup they have the guys you know Adam Eden Howie Kendrick and then of course Juan Soto that can lead that lineup and do big things and then again the Mets and the Phillies they had some questions heading into this year so Maybe maybe it's pressure because those are two teams that we expected a lot last year and it didn't exactly happen just given what the Nationals and the Braves were able to do last year. So I, I guess the Braves should win that division. And then the L.A. Dodgers, you know, the NL West has looked a little more competitive than I think a lot of us thought. But the Dodgers, again, should win that division. Clayton Kershaw has been looking like his old self. Um, the the lineup, Mookie Betts has looked phenomenal. And you add that with Cody Bellinger, Justin Turner, Corey Seager, you know you're going to get quality at-bats and quality production. So I, I guess we've recapped a lot here with baseball. I guess I want you to kind of name a few teams that we, we've talked about, you know, a few minor surprises, but are there any teams just – that stand out to you that have really disappointed you? Maybe you were expecting a little more of them. Kind of the angels. I honestly, I expected that they were going to actually like, I don't want to say that they're not relevant, but like I expected them to show up more. And well, and I also, 
and then that's kind of on the AL side. Also on the on the NL side, I, I honestly expected Cincinnati to be more competitive in that division, but outside of that, no, nobody's really, nobody's really like really caught me off guard. Yeah, you know, I think I'd have to agree with you there. I do agree with the Angels. I think the big concern for them heading into this season was their starting rotation. And even though they got out this offseason and got Julio Terran, uh, Dylan Bundy, they don't exactly have that ace, you know, that Houston did have with Verlander and that Oakland might have with guys like Mike Fires, Frankie Montas, that can, you know, they don't have a bonafide number one yet. And their bullpen isn't so great either. When you have the best player in the world, like Mike Trout, you probably do expect better things, especially with someone like Shohei Otani, who's kind of maturing. Anthony Rendon is still one of the game's top third basemen. So I do agree with you. They have been a little disappointing for me. And then finally, the Boston Red Sox, who are unfortunately at the bottom of the AL East with a 7-18 record, 11 games below 500. You know, that's a team that, we saw what they did winning the World Series um, back in 2018, and we know how competitive they are. But they have a minus 49 run differential, and they're one and nine in the last ten. And when you, you know, you lose David Price in the off season, you lose Chris Sale to injury, and then Eduardo Rodriguez, who I believe is still out, you know, and Nathan Neovaldi is your number one starter. That's not going to do a lot for you when you win ball games. Unfortunately, they have such a very good lineup. I still do think with Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Rafael Devers, three guys right there who are still some of the game's top power bats. But I don't know. I mean, with the trade deadline is coming up August 31st, and they th- I think they have a team. They are a team that has a lot of these assets, especially on the offense side of things. That I think maybe they could be making some moves, and maybe it's time for a rebuild there in Boston. But anyways. Like we said at the beginning of the show, the Chicago Thomas for you, the Chicago Cubs, and then for me, the Chicago White Sox are our favorite teams. And it just so happens that this weekend they are playing against one another at Wrigley Field. And then hopefully we get to complete this season and they will play each other to end the season later in September for that final weekend of the season, September 25th, 26th, 27th at Guaranteed Rate Field. But this weekend, um, we should have some pretty exciting matchups between these two clubs. Just to kind of give you a brief breakdown here, White Sox have won five in a row. They're 7-3 and three in the last 10. Uh, Chicago Cubs, 5-5 five and five in the last 10, have, I guess, kind of cooled off from that 13-3 and three start. But make no mistake about it, I know for me, being as a White Sox fan, I think this is going to be a huge series for us to go out there and prove some things. But... Anyways, Thomas, being a Cubs fan, what are some of your, I guess, major takeaways so far from the season? What do you like about this team? And what might you not like about this team? And then I want you to give me, on a scale from A to F, a midseason grade for the team as a whole. Well, I would say one of the biggest successes is just the pitching. This this pitching showed up, and... Darvish is Darvish, especially his first one comes to mind. Like he really took, like he took what he was doing second half of last year, and he just ran with it. And I was looking at it before this, and he's actually he's, I believe I saw four at the time. He is four and one with a 
1.80 ERA. And I honestly, I think just everybody on that staff is pitching and they're pitching out of their minds. And yeah, and that's definitely been one of the biggest successes has been, you know, the pitching's there. Um, and then also they're getting hitting from a lot of the lineup. There's a couple of guys, Baez and Brian, even though Brian's day to day, that they those two haven't exactly like fully started making like fully started hitting yet. But still up and down the lineups they're getting they're getting contributions and I and I think one of the people that deserves a lot of credit who who hasn't really been talked about much is Kipnis. I think I think that I think getting Kipnis was huge for them. He brings the experience, he brings a good bat and he just he just knows the game and that's what you need. Is there anything that you think might needs to be might needs to be, excuse me, fixed for this team going forward? Um, maybe struggling, maybe. Well, the closer for one, Mm -hmm. Kimbrell, even though he's starting, he, his last couple outings, he's get he's finding his stuff finally, but they, that's definitely, that's something like if he goes into a funk again, then they're in trouble. So I definitely think that that would be, that would be a good trade deadline upgrade, but yeah, no, like that's the only thing really that I can, that I can think of. It's just like they're that, and then like some more, some more relief pitching depth. They need more. I'd say they need one or two more like good quality relievers. And well, and, and as you mentioned, they're now they've cooled off from that blistering start. But I still I got to give these guys probably probably a B plus because they're hitting. And well, and that's another. I think another huge key is bringing back, uh, bringing back Ross as a manager. I definitely, I do think that they need a new face in that, as manager and someone. Well, and having someone that the players knew, that's huge because the chemistry is already there. But I definitely, I would say probably like a B plus. If they, if the hitting was there, then I would definitely put it at an A though. That's the biggest thing is just yeah. once once they start hitting, this team is going to be a force. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I agree with you there. You know, even as me being the White Sox fan, I think I think a B plus might be a little hard. I'd, I'd probably have to scale with an A, if not an A minus, just because the bullpen. There are some weak spots. I do agree with you there. I, I don't know if Kimbrel's ever going to round into the form that he was, you know, earlier in the in the 2010s. But at the end of the day. I think they're looking to make a statement, you know, guys like, if I'm not mistaken, guys like Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, um, and then on the pitching side, you know, you got Lester especially are going to be free agents, some of them after this season, some of them after next season. So I think when everyone's in there, when they're still in their window, they want to go out and maybe even win another championship for all I know. But moving to the south side of town, the Chicago White Sox, I I mean, I guess what I what I like what I've liked with this team lately, and granted, you know, it's four games against the Tigers and Detroit's just not a good team at all. So, you know, that's an easy chance for the guys to get hot. But I I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of this offense lately. Uh, Tim Anderson, our shortstop, returned from injury last week, and since coming back, he's had 
four home runs in the last four days. He hit one today. So that's six on the season with nine RBIs. And he's been looking phenomenal. 379 batting average, 414 on base percentage. You see him out there. He's a great player, but he's the spark plug that I think the White Sox needed to kind of get over that 500 hump. Because, like I said, you see him. He's out there. He's having fun. He has, I think, a great charismatic personality. And that adds a lot of heart into the team, what I think, which I think they kind of need. Uh, Jose Abreu, another player who has been on this team for a long time now, since 2014. He's really been heating up lately. Um, five home runs and 19 RBIs. So that's a 292 average. And again, he has been, for my money, not necessarily the best player on this team this season. I think that would probably have to be Tim Anderson, just given all the energy that he's brought. But again, he's a veteran presence along with guys like Edwin Encarnacion, who I know has kind of struggled. He's hit a few home runs lately. He hit two last night in the White Sox 5-3 win over the Tigers. And then today they had an absolute statement game, beating the Tigers 9-0. You know, there's guys like Abreu, Encarnacion, Yasmani Grandal, even our starting catcher, who has is out day-to-day right now, but hopefully he returns lately. Mixing in with these young guys, I think, kind of gives them the nucleus they need, not necessarily to win a championship, but I think, hopefully, I think playoffs is still very viable. I, again, another guy who I didn't even mention, Luis Robert, um, who I think deserves to win the AL Rookie of the Year for a very good reason. He looks like he could ultimately be that five-tool guy, you know, five home runs on the year um he and that's an 87 at bats he's putting on a 330 on base percentage a 517 slugging percentage and we've seen what he's been able to do in that outfield you know saving them a few runs that if you have someone else out there you might not be able to catch so again a guy who I'm really looking forward to seeing develop and hopefully if we're able to go back to games next season I'm really looking forward to seeing this team you know take off and For my money, the pitching has also looked pretty good lately. I really like what Lucas Giolito did today. Those are ace numbers right there. You know, seven innings pitched, 13 strikeouts, one walk, and three hits. You couldn't ask for more for him, especially after he did struggle in that first game against the the Cardinals in that doubleheader on Saturday. Uh, He's been looking great lately. Dallas Keuchel, a veteran who he got this offseason, he's been probably our most consistent pitcher all year. And really showing that even though he is getting up there in age, he can still go out there, get you wins, eat up innings. Dylan Cease, another youngster like Giolito, who he looked really nice Tuesday night, gave, I think it was six or so really good innings of work. And when you have guys that are willing to go out there, put their best foot forward, I think it makes a huge difference. And then I think I think the bullpen ultimately is, you know, I think it's I think it's been looking good for the most part. Aaron Bummer being out definitely could be our closer for the future. Has hurt us, but I like what I'm seeing out of guys like Matt Foster, Zach Birdie, young pitchers who can give you an innings, you know, worth of work and can really get the job done at the end of the day. I will say real quickly that I think this team struggles to I I, I mean, they've looked great in these last few games, but Last week, I was a little concerned because they'll get hot maybe for a game or two, put up seven or eight runs, and then they'll go cool. And a lot of that is because a lot of the guys that they do have 
are power hitters. You know, they do strike out a lot, which is kind of concerning. They don't walk a whole lot either. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think if they can find a little bit more of that consistency as opposed to having all these spurts and peaks and, you know, dips, I think it can make for a really entertaining rest of the season. And this weekend against the the Cubs at Wrigley Field, I think it could be a statement series for them depending on how they do because they just swept Detroit. They're, I, I believe, six and one in seven games against the Tigers this year, and then they swept the Royals. But they're two and four against the Indians and one and two against the Twins. So in order to make the playoffs and have a strong finish, you need to prove that, yes, while 15-11 is great, you need to prove that you can go out there and compete with the Twins and Indians who are still, the I think, the class of that division just because the White Sox in those games haven't looked as competitive as they have with, say, you know, the Royals or the Tigers. But real quickly here to end the end our baseball part of the show off, this weekend the Cubs and the White Sox, like I said, do play against each other. Friday night, it'll be Dallas Keuchel for the Sox against John Lester of the Cubs. Saturday, Dylan Cease for the Sox against Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs. And Sunday, the White Sox have not named their starter yet. It could be a bullpen game, or we could have Ronaldo Lopez back, who has been out with a shoulder injury since um, since late July against you, Darvish, for the Cubs. So, Thomas, real quickly, give me a brief preview of this weekend series and give me your prediction for... I guess what the outcome will be um, for each of these three games. And that could be whether you think it's going to be a sweep or maybe two to one Cubs or whatnot. I will say the one that, and I'll actually, I'll lead off with Sunday's game. I honestly, I honestly, I think regardless of who the Sox, or at least on the, on the pitching side of things, I think regardless of who the Sox put up, I think the Cubs are going to win that pitching battle. Darvish has been pitching lights out. Like, he's putting up Cy Young numbers, basically. And I just – and he's very, very hard to beat, as as we have seen. So, I definitely do think that that one goes – at least pitching-wise, that one goes the way – of the Cubs. Um, well, in in terms of the, I'll say in terms of the Friday game, that's gonna that's gonna be a good matchup because both of those, bo- both those players with Keuchel for the Sox and Lester for the Cubs, they're both players who they know how to play, and they've both shown that they are good pitchers. So. I definitely I do think that'll be a good one. Um at at the end of the day, I honestly I say I say it's a toss up. It's either gonna be two one Cubs or a sweep. My only question mark is actually that middle game that uh Hendricks cease are the starters. That's my question mark. Cause that could turn out to be a really good game. But I do think it's going one or it's going one of those two ways. Yeah, I, I, I do like your points there. I'm, you know, regardless of who we put out Sunday, I think you Darvish is a very good pitcher who looks great towards the end of last year. And then all this year, 
when he's healthy, he can be very hot. And then John Lester, Kyle Hendricks, Hugh Darvish, three very, very good pitchers. So I'm hoping for the best for the Sox here. But I will say, um, if I had to give a prediction here, I, you know, looking at where the Sox are, they're 15 and 11, completing that sweep of the Tigers and then going to Wrigley Field. You know, I hate to say it, but I, and I hope the Sox prove me wrong, but I, I do think the Cubs are going to take this series. I could see the White Sox potentially, you know, stealing a game or two. And I think that could be either tomorrow night's game with Dallas Keiko on the hill or possibly Saturday if Dylan Cease brings his best stuff to the table. And it's never easy against this Cubs team. But I do think that at the end of the day, playing at Wrigley, even when you don't have fans in the stands, there, you know, is still kind of that intimidating feeling for some of these young guys. And they were able to do it last year with Aloy Jimenez hitting that. I think, you know, they were tied. I think they were tied. It might have been 1-1. And then he comes up to the plate and hits a great home run against his former team. But ultimately, I do think, though, that the Cubs are a little bit of a better team, especially when playing at home. I'm going to say the Cubs take that series 2-1. to one. Moving along here to our next segment, uh, we're going to break down the NHL playoffs that are still going on. We are in the quarterfinals, and we have four series that are wrapped up as of Thursday night. Actually, two games on tonight. The New York Islanders will play the Washington Capitals. Game five at 8 o'clock Eastern, 7 Central. And Toronto with the Islanders winning, or excuse me, leading that series 3-1. to one have a chance to close it out tonight, followed by game six of the Dallas Stars and the Calgary Flames out west in Edmonton. Dallas does lead that series three games to two, and they also have a chance to potentially win that series tonight in Edmonton. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, um, I just want to send out our condolences to Dale Howarchuk, 2001 Hockey Hall of Fame inductee, played 16 seasons in the NHL with the Winnipeg Jets, the Buffalo Sabres, the St. Louis Blues, and the Philadelphia Flyers. First overall draft pick in 1981 by the Winnipeg Jets and just an overall great legend, great player throughout the hockey world. Unfortunately, he did pass away this past Tuesday due to stomach cancer. So again, I want to send out our condolences to him for having such a great impact on the hockey community today. I guess before we break down each series here, what have been some of your favorite moments, and I know we kind of talked about it earlier, from being able to watch hockey in August and from the tournament as a whole. It's definitely, it's definitely been, it's been different. It's been, it's been kind of strange, but I got to say probably my favorite thing has been seeing the amount of teams that actually came out in the qualifying rounds that were projected to get beat and actually ended up beating the higher seeds. And well, and along with that, like seeing the two number twelve seeds beat the beat their five seed opponents, that was great. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, seeing not just what the Hawks were able to do, the Oilers, but the Canadians over the Penguins. Harry Price looked absolutely phenomenal in that series. Montreal has such a strong, you know, back end, and they do have. I think they proved to us that they have a lot of more forward depth than a lot of us were anticipating. I don't really, you know, I don't really think a lot of us saw that one coming. Um, And especially, you know, a lot of other upsets. Arizona did lose their series to Colorado yesterday in five games. But the fact that they were able to beat 
you know, the Nashville Predators, a team that didn't look as good this year than in the previous couple of seasons, you know, almost pretty single-handedly, even though they, like I said, they did lose to Colorado, but being able to do that, I think, again, like much like the Blackhawks was a statement that this team could do big things in the future. But anyways, I wanted to, you know, kind of give a rundown of the series that have already happened um, before we get into uh, the four series as of now, Thursday, that are still going on right now. So to get us started here in the Eastern Conference, we saw two series wrap up yesterday with the number two seeded Tampa Bay Lighting defeating the number seven Columbus Blue Jackets in five games. Obviously, what we all know here is the Lightning really wore out the Blue Jackets in that first game, five overtimes. Uh, Jonas Korpisalo and um, Andre Vasilevsky of the Lightning looked like absolute beasts out there in net before Braden Point ended it in five overtimes. The Blue Jackets did steal the second game of that series on August 13th, 3-1, to one, but Lightning were able to come back, take the three games, and win it with, again, Braden Point. You know, you might as well just give him the con Smythe now, but did beat the Blue Jackets in overtime yesterday. I did watch part of that game. Uh, the ending was pretty spectacular with Columbus, you know, leading 4-2 to two, and then Tampa tying it in the last 10 minutes of the period and then Point being able to win it in overtime. Additionally, the Boston Bruins did beat the Carolina Hurricanes, the number 5 seed Bruins against the five, excuse me, the number 4 seed Bruins against the 5 seed Hurricanes in five games. Uh, again, much like the Tampa Columbus series, Boston took that first game 4-3 to three in two overtimes. Following day, Carolina tied it up, 1-1 series tie before Boston took the previous three games to win the series. And I, I, think, I think even though Boston was the higher seed, I think for a lot of people, myself included, this was a slight upset because I know the Bruins won the President's Trophy and I know they did great things in the regular season. They have so much playoff experience with guys like, you know, Chara, Marshawn, uh, you know, Chara, Marshawn, Bergeron, Pasternak. But this was a Carolina team that I think after that sweep against the Rangers that really I was expecting more out of. I think not having Andre Svechnikov for the latter part of that series really hit, hurt their chances to see such an energetic young score. But Boston does move on. Those are two higher seeds that are going to the semifinals I guess Thomas is there any takeaways that you have from uh these series that have already concluded out east with Tampa and Boston advancing not not really just I also do think that it was that the um the Rask thing that was definitely that was interesting to see and that I'd be curious to see if we're gonna see something like in the like in the off season about like why that was, or if there's any more in depth about that, that's what I'm kind of curious about. But no, I don't really have, I don't really have anything to say about those outside of yeah, I caught, or I caught the highlights of that five OT game, and yeah, I definitely I do think that that get that that first game really did set the tone for the entire series. So actually, just to give you a little update here, I am reading right now that the reason Tukaras did leave the bubble was because um, his daughter was having a medical emergency. And I guess that really wasn't as blunt earlier. But, you know, I I guess you got to do what you have to do. It's always, I think, 
we didn't know what was going on or whatever, and we don't want to speculate. But I think, you know, it's it's a decision that, yeah, I can understand why it's unpopular with a lot of people. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, your family, if it means that much to you, by all means, I think it's completely fine. I still think Boston has right now. I think I like their Stanley Cup chances a whole lot more than I did. Um, after the round robin, just because they did look a little sluggish. But I think they were able to come out and make a statement. You know, maybe they weren't taking those round robin games as seriously, but I still really like Yaroslav Holak and Net. He has a lot of that experience. And yes, the forward depth, I do think it thins out a little once you get that past that first line of, you know, Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak. But I really think they are just such a strong team. And like they made the Stanley Cup finals last year. We're one game away of winning the Cup, so we know what to expect there. And with the Tampa Bay Lightning beating the Blue Jackets in five games, I, I was hoping this series would go a few more games. I really like what Columbus did against the Leafs, but props to this Blue Jackets team for getting where they did. I mean, I don't know about you, but I wasn't really expecting much out of them. You know, just given the fact that they lost last offseason, they lost Matthew Shane, Artemi Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky, and you leave it up to guys like, you know, Eunice Corpicello, Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, Seth Jones to really lead this new young core in Columbus. So I think it's kind of cool to see the revenge tour going on right now. We know what Columbus did, sweeping the lightning um, back in the first round in 2019. But I think Tampa, at the end of the day, they are still the stronger team. And hopefully they can go on a very strong run this year. I still think, you know, front to back. They have so much depth, and for my money, at every position, they have they do like let's face it, they have a premium with guys like you know Hedman leading that back end, Vasilevsky and Net, Stamkos, Point, Kucherov. That is such a scary offense. So again, two teams right there that I'm not that surprised about, and I look for them to do bigger things in the next round. Uh, the series that are still going on right now in the East with the Philadelphia Flyers leading the Montreal Canadiens 3 to 2 and the New York Islanders leading the Washington Capitals 3 to 1. I think the series that I really wanted to talk about here is what the New York Islanders are able to be doing right now against the Capitals. I think Washington's in a situation right now that almost that Pittsburgh might be in too, you know. Alex Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom, they're still great hockey players, but they are each season getting up there in age and we don't know how much more gas in the tank they have left, even though they're still great. But with this New York team, even if it happens that Washington takes the game tonight, I can't see the Capitals coming back and winning this series. I think the Islanders are one of those teams that while they might not necessarily be the most fun to watch, they have an amazing coach in Barry Trotz who each year is, you know, it's like Joel Quenneville too knows what he's doing behind the bench and he's you know right now being able to out coach his former team in the capitals guys like again josh bailey matt barzell anders lee not necessarily they don't necessarily have that same finesse that a team like philly or you know tampa might have but they're able to go out there and shut teams down and win hockey games almost kind of like vegas even um maybe they're not as strong but again Good, good offense overall, and a very good duo in net, too, with guys like Thomas Grice, Semyon Varlamov. And with the Philadelphia Flyers leading the Canadians 3-2, I, I like what Montreal is doing, um, like I alluded to earlier. Uh, Nick Suzuki, a very impressive young forward who's been leading that group, and Carey Price has really come out to prove 
that he is still one of the best goalies in the world. I guess with Philadelphia up three to two and New York up three to one, would you say ultimately that Thomas, is this what you expected? And do you still expect, I guess the Flyers and the Islanders to win their series? Um, the Flyers more so than the Islanders. I definitely, well, yeah. And, and I caught the, I caught the last little bit of that last Montreal game actually. And that game, that game from what I saw, that game should have went to, um, that should have went to the Flyers and Montreal stole it from them. But I definitely, yeah, I do think, I think the Flyers take it in, I, bleh, I say they take it in the next game. And then I honestly, I say that, I, I say, Wash, I say Washington takes it to seven, but the Islanders get it. Yeah, you know, I think I think those are some pretty solid picks. I'd probably have to agree with you. I do think that this is a Capitals team with Washington that they have a lot of good players, but much like Pittsburgh almost, they're pretty top-heavy. You know, Ovechkin, Backstrom, Kuznetsov, that, that forward group, plus, you know, Tom Wilson's developed, Jacob Vrana. They're, they're a good team, don't get me wrong, but after that, it does kind of thin out, and I think you need a lot of that second secondary scoring that the Islanders might have, even if they're not necessarily as flashy. They don't have that superstar to win you hockey games. And so I do think the Islanders take that series. I think if they don't win it tonight, I think they win in about six. And I'd probably have to agree. I could see Montreal stretching this to seven. I think a lot of people, including myself, really underestimated them heading into the tournament. But at the end of the day, Philadelphia is a team that has really matured over the last year, um, not just with guys like Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier, but Carter Hart's been a very nice story, and Net has really cemented himself as one of the game's top goaltenders. So, yeah, I'd probably have to agree. I think they win. I think I think they take the next game and win that series in six. Moving on to the West Western Conference, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights defeated the Chicago Blackhawks, um, our favorite team, winning that series four to one on Tuesday night. I don't want to get into that series yet because we have another segment coming up talking about the Hawks, and I think we'll discuss that a little more in depth then. But to recap, the other series that did go five games out in the West, the Colorado Avalanche defeated the Arizona Coyotes four games to one um, last night, Wednesday. The Avalanche, I mean, they looked absolutely great this past series. Um, Arizona was able to steal that game three, but these past two games, man, seven to one for Colorado and this was a Colorado team that you know as good as they do look on paper I had some questions about heading into the you know this postseason just given that I think Nathan McKinnon for my money he's up there with McDavid as one of the greatest players in the world they have a lot of other good guys on that forward group along with Caleb McCarr who is up there with Quinn Hughes and could win that you know could win that Calder trophy but, you know, I, I think the Avalanche, man, I I think they're just loaded right now. And they were able to go out there and win that series with ease. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely – and I I definitely do agree. Well, and Arizona – well, and here's the thing. Arizona is a team that they are going to be competitive, given a little more time, but they're not there yet. But, yeah, I definitely – I would have been surprised if the Avs had blown the series. 
Yeah, you know, I, I like your points about Arizona. I think they, while they were able to beat Nashville, I think though that was a series where, you know, the Predators, they are getting up there in age as opposed to a team like the Avalanche, which is young and healthy and has really looked dominant all this postseason. I think them and Vegas, for my money, are probably the two big favorites in the Western Conference. But, yeah, this is an Arizona team that I like Darcy Kemper and Auntie Ranta and Nett. I think they have a very solid foundation there. They have a very nice back end. And then on the offense, I think, is a bit of a different story. If guys like Clayton Carroll or uh, Nick Schmaltz, former Blackhawk, uh, can you know stay healthy, especially in someone like Schmaltz's case, and produce consistently, I think that can be huge. But I really like what they did this season, bringing in Phil Kessel and Taylor Hall as you know, those veterans in the locker room to kind of give them that mentorship. So by no means, I think, would I complain if I were a Coyotes fan. I think much like the Blackhawks, they really kind of exceeded expectations. Moving on to the series that are still in progress, the Dallas Stars lead the Calgary Flames three games to two. Like I said earlier, the Dallas Stars can win that series tonight with game six uh, at 9.30 Central, 10.30 Eastern. And then finally, for my money, which I think could, you know, I, I think has been the most exciting and competitive series of the playoffs so far. The St. Louis Blues and the Vancouver Canucks. Um, Vancouver won that game last night. I believe they came back and won it. Uh, Tyler Mott, one of their bottom six forwards, had two goals. Uh, again, a former Blackhawks prospect, but we don't want to get into that too much here. Um, but this is a Vancouver team that maybe in comparison to St. Louis, I think what makes the series interesting is just given the, you know, the contrast of the two teams, you know, St. Louis has a little bit more of that experience. They, they won the cup. Um, but Vancouver, they're a fun young team with a lot of finesse. Uh, Elias Pedersen, you know, Brock Bezer, two young forwards right there with Bo Horvat, you know, JT Miller, who can, bring skill size to the table. Quinn Hughes has really emerged as that Calder Trophy finalist who he is right now in the back end with Jacob Markstrom, who's really rounded himself into form. And I don't know. I'm curious to see whether St. Louis is going to be able to come back and win this series because um, Vladimir Tarasenko has been out this series. He's going to be missing some time who they missed for a good chunk of the regular season too. And while they do have that depth, I, I don't know. I, I think – Vancouver might be able to win this series with ease. And I, I think that could be a big accomplishment for them, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely, I do think that'd be huge. And to beat some, beat out somebody like St. Louis who will, for one, coming off winning, winning the cup last year, if I do, if memory does serve, mm-hmm. I definitely, I do think that that would be, that that would be definitely impressive for a Vancouver team that hasn't really been, or I should say, went through a few years where they really weren't all that relevant and they really weren't like around in the league. So I definitely, and I feel like Vancouver's trending in the right direction. Although I will say, if they win this round, that I think they go out next round. But yeah, I definitely, I will say, of the two remaining, I will say, I think, um, Dal, I think Dallas and Vancouver are going to win those two. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do agree with you there. I think for Vancouver, I think, again, much like if you're a Blackhawks fan or a Coyotes fan, 
should they win this series or even if they blow it and St. Louis does come back and win the next two games, I think you can't really complain if you're a Canucks fan because they are a team that hasn't necessarily been all that relevant since, you know, the Sedins retired. But I think Elias Pettersson and Bo Horvat have done a great job of kind of taking over as the next faces of the franchise, along with Quinn Hughes, who's absolutely looked phenomenal in, uh, in his rookie season. I do think with um, the Calgary Flames and the Dallas Stars with Game 6 being tonight, I think for me personally, that's more, you know, that's that's kind of a coin flip. I think the big X factor here with Calgary is uh, it does look like Matthew Kachuk is going to be a game-time decision. He adds a lot of grit, a lot of energy into that Calgary team. But I think, you know, I, I think Dallas – could very well be able to win this series. I mean, they were a team that I doubted throughout the round robin just because it didn't really look like the offense was necessarily there. And whereas Calgary, they won that series against Winnipeg with a lot of ease. And I thought they were going to do, you know, bigger and better things kind of coming into this to this year as an underdog, almost like St. Louis last year, right? You know, you have a very nice solid back end Mark Giordano has been there forever now it seems like along with a very very good forward group but I think not having to chuck I think that takes a lot out of the lineup I do think Dallas is gonna win that series though ultimately just given where they are right now I do think momentum's on their side but we still have one more series to talk about and we're actually gonna kind of extend this a little since this are is our team at the end of the day the Chicago Blackhawks, after beating the Edmonton Oilers three games to one in um, the play-in round the as the number 12 seed beating the number five Oilers, did ultimately fall on Tuesday night to the Vegas Golden Knights in five games. The Golden Knights took the first three games of that series, beating Chicago four to one, four to three, and two to one. Game four this past Sunday, Corey Crawford absolutely stood on his head and he he stole that game for them. I don't think anyone, if you watch that game, I don't think anyone's going to argue that. And Chicago did win that game 3-1. to one, But Tuesday night, Vegas, I think, showed to us why they're the better team, why they're a little bit more well-rounded. And, you know, took that game 4-3 to three ultimately and took the series. So I guess looking at the bigger picture here, first of all, who stood out, who in particular on the Blackhawks, stood out to you while watching this tournament and what were your overall impressions of Chicago's play I guess in the series against Edmonton and why do you why don't you think they were able to do it against Vegas well for one um I guess the biggest impression on me was let the kids play a lot of those like a lot of the younger guys like Boquist, Doc Kublik like they didn't play like this was their first playoffs they played they played like they'd been here before and I think that was huge. So that was definitely that was an impression or that I that was a big takeaway that I had there, as well as it's always interesting to see with with the captain with Jonathan with Jonathan Tays. Like there's two there's two different Jonathan Tays. There's regular season and there's playoffs. And he's always so interesting to see in the playoffs because he'll play because he plays lights out. And then, and I guess, like, in that Edmonton series, like, the Hawks came out, and they came out ready to play. And they, and the biggest thing, I think, with that series is just they were able to, they were able to neutralize 
Um, they're able to neutralize McDavid and oh, why am I drawing blank? Dry saddle. Thank you. And dry saddle, yep. they're able to, to neutralize the two of them, and they just for a lot of it, they just they controlled the they controlled the play, and that w- that was critical for them. Well, and then you take it to like the series with Vegas, like you can't exact you can't exactly do that because they're that deep across the board. Yeah, so that was really that's really what my impressions were. But again, like in terms of who stuck out, Doc, Boquist, and Kubalik, and of of course Crawford. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think those are some good points there. You know, I was kind of doing some reading on how this is an interesting Blackhawks team because they're, yeah, they're kind of an older team because of the fact that, you know, Taves, Keith, Kane, as good as they looked at points, they are, you know, they are a little bit more limited. And, you know, Patrick Kane has played some of the best hockey in his career these, you know, past few years, even when the Blackhawks haven't been able to be a more competitive as a team. But just like guys like Crosby and Ovechkin, each year he is getting a little bit more older. But looking at it statistically, they were the youngest team in this tournament. You know, and that's in part to guys like Kirby Doc, who I questioned Bowman when he took him third overall in the draft last year. I He looks absolutely great playing in that second line center role with uh, Alex Dubrenkit and Patrick Kane. He's, you know, a very... He, he brings size to the table. He's a very heavy guy, which I think is what the Hawks kind of need going forward. They need a little bit more of that grit, you know, to contrast with a guy like Debrinket, who is a little bit more smaller. Maybe he has a little bit more work to do there, but can go out there and get you some goals. Um, but again, a very young team, and I'm very hopeful for the future with the Chicago Blackhawks squad. I, I don't think they are going to be on that contender status that they were, you know, in the 2010s for a little while. I do think the guys have a little bit more matured, maturing to do, but I I guess to kind of look at these two series here, I think they were able to match up better against Edmonton, just given the fact that like I questioned the Hawks in this series because of the fact that Edmonton, well, for one, they were playing on their home ice, but you cannot underestimate Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Those are two of the, you know, two of the top, I'd say probably 10 players in the world with McDavid, I think for my money, number one, if not number two. And they looked great. But then after that, yeah, it did drop off a little, which the Hawks were able to take advantage of that. You know, the young guys really stepped up their game. Another guy who we didn't talk about was Dominic Kubelik. He had that hat trick in game one and came out, recorded five points. I think there's going to be some work to do this offseason with, uh, I believe Dylan Strom is a restricted free agent. They're going to have to, you know, probably try to get him to a new deal. But again, Dominic Kubelik, another guy who you want to have on this team for a while because of just, he, he scored 30 goals this past season. And to do that as a rookie for my money is very, very impressive. Um, And I, I think compared to the Vegas series, you know, their back end wasn't great at times, but, Edmonton doesn't exactly have the best defense either. And then I think against Vegas, even though the series only lasted five games, I was really, really impressed, of course, with Corey Crawford. I mean, the dude played, I think for my money, his best hockey all season. You wouldn't have even guessed that he had COVID a month ago based on the way that he played. So the fact that he was able to, you know, 
recover from having the virus and then come out there and look absolutely great. I think for me, looked great. But then again, Vegas is such a strong team front to back. That top line of, you know, guys like Mark Stone, William Carlson, uh, Max Pacioretty, even though I, I know he missed some time. They're, they're a scary team there. And then again, the defense, they have that kind of that shutdown style that they're exciting to watch and sometimes they're not, but that's just because they go out there and they win games like two to one, three to one, just because the defense there is so darn good as well as the goaltending Mark Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard, of course, Leonard playing his former team in the Blackhawks. Uh, and he looks absolutely stellar too, kind of a goaltending duel, if you will. But I guess to kind of end this segment off here, what it, it's very early, obviously. This series ended less than 48 hours ago, really. Early Wednesday morning, just after midnight, was when the game ended, ultimately with Vegas advancing. But, again, we don't know what next season's going to look like. It's supposed to begin early December. And fingers crossed, with the way the pandemic is going right now, we again, we just don't know what that's going to look like. And hopefully there will be a season, ultimately, in one way or another. But I guess, what do you make of this team's long-term outlook? And I guess, what changes in particular? What do you think Stan Bowman and Danny Wirtz in the front office needs to do? Maybe to, I guess, you know, they're a good team. I, I do think they're a very good team. But what what changes, I guess, do you think need to be made in the offseason? Well, and I'm going to throw us out there half-jokingly, but as every Hawks fan has been screaming get rid of Bowman, but they need, they need a goalie. That's the biggest thing is they need to go out and they need to get a goalie because Crow cannot do this on his own and trading Leonard. Well, and that's been one of the interesting things because Leonard's up for free agent. If I remember correctly after this season and it's Corey Crawford too. Yeah. And and that's another thing that they're going to need to look at is they're going to need to look at, do they re-sign Crawford? If so, for how much? And then at the same time, like, do they also re-sign somebody like Leonard or, like, who do they re-sign and who do they bring in? Because I honestly – I think that's the now the most glaring weakness with this team is just the goalies. Although, I will say, I definitely – I think something else is a lot of these players are young and, like, the majority of them don't have playoff experience. So, honestly, I think another big piece is just the maturity needs to be there. Yeah, I, I really like your points there. I think for me personally, like you said, I think getting a goaltender, I I do hope and I do think that they do re-sign Corey Crawford. It's the only team that he's ever known. And sure, while he is getting older up there in age, I think he does and should take a hometown discount. The guy's 35 years old, but we saw what he can do this past postseason. But that being said, just like you said, you know, he can't do this by himself. They need to go out there and get a backup because while guys like Malcolm Subin, Colin Delia have shown flashes of potential here and then, I, I don't necessarily think they are ready for the show yet. And I think spending some time down in the minors wouldn't necessarily hurt. I really do think right now they both of those guys are third string at best. So, yeah, I do think getting a goaltender would be a major help. I think addressing the back end is another major priority too. Uh, Adam Bogvist, he... He did look lost a few times during the season. 
Um, but I think he will develop as time progresses. Again, Nicholas Bodine, um, Lucas Carlson, Ian Mitchell, all young guys who have that potential. But I think, you know, like someone like Calvin DeHaan or Connor Murphy making a trade, getting, a, uh, you know, a veteran top four defenseman, I think especially to put someone who does play that shutdown style, I think could help them a lot long term. And then finally, looking at the forward group, I don't have as many concerns but saying that, you know, Drake Jua, Dominic Kubelik, um, Dylan Strom are all RFAs. I think with the salary cap staying the way it is next season, uh, it's not going to go up for a while just given the financial implications of, you know, shutting the league down for an extended period of time due to the pandemic, if I, you know, remember correctly. So I think I do think getting this team to the cap is going to be a challenge. If it means, you know, trading someone like Strom or, you know, potentially looking at some other guys like Kajua or Nylander, so be it. But like you, I, I don't know if firing Stan Bowman is the answer at this point. Yes, he's had his fair share of misses, but, you know, he's also made some really good deals. He got Kubelik from the Kings for a fifth rounder. You know, even though they don't have him anymore, anymore um, getting Artemi Panarin from Europe, and then some of the guys he's drafted, like Doc, he does have a knack for finding talent. So at the end of the day, I do trust the process. I like where this team is headed. And I guess real quickly, Thomas, where, again, it's really early, but what do you think the goal for this team should be next season? Make it back to the playoffs. If they play it right and they have a, and they have a team that's competing, making it back to the playoffs. Yeah, I I do agree with you there. I think that is a very viable possibility. You know, looking at some of the way that some of the teams in the Central are going, we don't know what Minnesota and Nashville are going to do this offseason after losing at the first round. Again, teams like Colorado, even Winnipeg, even though they lost in that first round, still are very scary. And you can never count out St. Louis either and Dallas. But I do think this playoff showed that they can compete with the top guns Again, much like Montreal beating Pittsburgh, that was a major upset, and I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. So, you know, props to the Blackhawks on a great playoff run, and I think the fact that they were able to get into the playoffs in a season that, you know, should, if the pandemic never happened, should not have happened, then I I don't think they would have made the playoffs. So I guess when you look at COVID, that's one thing that we might be kind of thankful for is even, you know, just a mini Hawks playoff run, even if not a cup run. Uh, We are getting close to the end of our show here, but we do have one last topic to talk about real quickly here. Uh, The MLS is back. Well, it has been for a while, but the Chicago fire are set to resume their season tonight against uh, the Columbus crew in Columbus. Their first game at soldier field will be Tuesday, August 25th at um, against FC Cincinnati the Fire went 2-1 and one in the MLS's back tournament. They defeated the Seattle Sounders 2-1 uh, to one before falling to the San Jose Earthquakes and the Vancouver Whitecaps 2-0 in both games. So they, you know, they had that statement win beating the Sounders, who are always uh, you know, a very good contender, but not quite being able to do against the Earthquakes and the Whitecaps and weren't able to make so much, no- much noise there. But this was a team that went... 10, 12, and 12 in 2019. Uh, so far in 2020, they have one win, one draw, and three losses. I guess, Thomas, since 
you know, you have some experience being around this team. What are, you know, what are just broadly speaking, some goals for this team moving forward? And what would you say their expectations are um, for the remainder of the season? Well, for one, um, and kind of same thing with the Hawks, like they have, like they brought in a bunch of, like they have some homegrown players. And I was reading an article, they have three prospects that it sounds like are close to getting, like they're very close to getting called up to the first team. So, so I'd say like for them, just building for the future. Like if they, well, and they, and they had a pretty good run last year. They were six points out. Yeah. They're six points out of playoff spot at the end of the season. And they, I want to say they won like three or four or something. Like they were like, they got hot right at the end of the season. So just, Building off of that, and then yeah, just getting, letting the young kids kind of get used to get used to the flow and get used to MLS, and yeah, letting the letting some of the younger, like up and comers play as well, and letting them be coached by names that have been around and been in the league for a while. Yeah, you you make some good points there. I think um, one of the major questions I have for this team um, is gonna be um is gonna be the back end and net uh kenneth cronholm their usual starting goalkeeper tore his acl if i'm not mistaken last week so bobby shuttleworth is going to be starting um the majority of these games down the stretch he has a lot of experience in the mls previously playing so i think in soccer being able to have an effective goalkeeper is very important and with cronholm i'm not exactly sure if the fire have that I don't know if Shuttleworth is the long-term answer here, but again, they have, they're have they a very young team. Um, they have a, you know, a coach, Raphael Wicke, who is able to connect with some of the guys and play that team-oriented game, if you will. I think some names to look out for down the road here are uh, CJ Sapong. He led the fire in goals last year with 13. He, doesn't, he hasn't hit the score sheet yet so far this season. So he's going to have to step it up here. I do think the offense is kind of a concern. You know, they they play a very, you know, they they play a very shutdown style, but I think they're going to have to generate a lot of shot shot chances and just not be afraid to, you know, be aggressive and go up there attack the net if they want to make a statement and have a successful ending to their season. Um so he's one guy who I look for to make some noise. He has a lot of experience not only with the fire, but his years with playing for the Philadelphia Union, Orlando City, um, back when they were in the USL, and then uh, spending some time with Sporting Kansas City. And so I think some goals for this team, just I don't think, like you said, I don't necessarily think they are that cup contender. Um, They're very young. They're inexperienced. um, Losing Bastian Schweinsteiger, who was the face of the franchise really these last three years, coming over from Germany, we've seen it in the MLS where a lot of guys have a lot of success coming over and adapting to the North American game. And he was able to do that. No problem. But I do think it's new era now, you know, playing at soldier field in downtown, I think hopefully even without fans in the stands that they will try to come out and make a statement. And hopefully the offense really stands up here because well, you can, you know, get aggressive on the defense and play that edgy style all you want. You still need to be able to go out there, score goals, and win games at the end of the day. So 
again, very briefly here, recapping the MLS's back tournament with the Portland Timbers defeating Orlando City SC 2-1 in the final on August 11th. I guess, Thomas, first of all, did you did you watch most of, or I should say, much of this tournament or not really? Um, Not a ton. I well, I was tracking more of the group stage, but once they once the fire got knocked, I was just mad because that especially that last game, they should have been able to beat the Whitecaps. Yeah, I I think again, I think while the fire, unfortunately, they had a disappointing ending to the tournament. I think the fact that they were able to do this and really be the first sports league in North America to follow the bubble standard, even though they had um, two teams drop out of the tournament, you know, FC Dallas and Nashville SC uh, due to concerns surrounding the, you know, the coronavirus. Well, they, they both of them had outbreaks. I think, I think it made a statement that this is a league that we've seen over the past decade, really. I mean, it's very new, especially in comparison to the NHL and the NBA. And it, it's interesting. I think the way that their branding it is great being able to, you know, go to some of these non-traditional markets. And I guess, especially like Seattle even is one of them because you do have the the crack in the hockey team coming next year. Um, but I know the fan base there is very loyal. I think the fact that Portland won it, I think is great because they're another one of those smaller markets, a city that has, you know, on the non-sports front, been dealing with a lot of issues there lately Um, just separately but I think the fact that they were able to pull this off and I think Portland winning it is a nice story because they're one of those teams that year in and year out they're just very competitive and they made a statement there with winning the tournament so all in all I think from the few games that I was able to catch it did look very entertaining and again the MLS is a league that hopefully I do think can garner some more attention down the road just given you know their target demographic and it's it's a very it's a very young league and i think in the sporting world today while they may not be up there with the nhl the nba you know the nfl just yet i do think there is a lot of potential i guess going forward to kind of help brand the game because after all you look at it in soccer it's probably you know the most played sport in the world aside from maybe basketball but we are almost at the end of our show here, actually. And I guess to end this show, you know, 2020 overall has just been a really weird, weird year. I think regardless of where you live, what you believe in, you can't really argue with that. Been dealing with a lot of issues there lately, um, just separately. But I think the fact that they were able to pull this off and I think Portland winning it is a nice story because they're one of those teams that year in and year out, they're just very competitive and they made a statement there with winning the tournament. So all in all, I think from the few games that I was able to catch, it did look very entertaining. And again, the MLS is a league that hopefully I do think can garner some more attention down the road, just given, you know, their target demographic. And it's, it's a very, it's a very young league. And I think in the sporting world today, while they may not be up there with the NHL, the NBA, you know, the NFL just yet, I do think there is a lot of potential, I guess, going forward to kind of help brand the game. Because after all, you look at it in soccer, it's probably, you know, the most played sport in the world, aside from maybe basketball. 
but we are almost at the end of our show here, actually. And I guess to end this show, you know, 2020 overall has just been a really weird, weird year. I think regardless of where you live, what you believe in, you can't really argue with that. Um, you know, the, the coronavirus pandemic, for one, it's impacted all of our lives one way or another. Um, like I alluded to earlier, I had to go home from school. I'm going back tomorrow, but I'm a little nervous just because of the fact that I have no clue what it's going to look like, but it's a chance that I am willing to take. Um, and of course, sports being shut down for a while, impacting both of our lives. And the other big story this year has been, um, you know, the, I guess, has been the, the social justice talk is very unfortunate. What happened in Minneapolis with George Floyd has sparked a lot of, you know, protests and talk throughout the country which I think that in itself is very important to listen to and very important to talk about. But I think sports right now is great because it does, you know, kind of provide us that escape. It allows us to, you know, bring, give us a sense of normalcy, I guess, which everything that is going on right now, it's very important and it is worth talking about. But as they say in the business, we're sticking to sports here because that's what we do. This is a sports talk podcast. So the name of this game is 2020, baby. And like I said, 2020 has been a very weird year with a lot of the stuff that I've you know, been talking about. So out of all these sports scenarios, I want you to rank them from the least 2020 to the most 2020. And I'll start off here. So I got the Blackhawks firing Stan Bowman and or Jeremy Colladin, the Bears winning the Super Bowl, the Cubs winning the World Series, the White Sox winning the World Series, and the Fire winning the MLS Cup. I guess all of those scenarios, for me, one way or another, would be very surprising, but I think some are a little bit more surprising than others. So, Thomas, I guess if you had to place these in order from least 2020 to most 2020, I, I guess going 5-1, to one, how, how would you rank these? <laughs> and assuming I understand this correctly, um, I'd say... Least 2020, or well, I assume least 2020 is, um, like, most normal thing? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'd have to put C, actually. C would be one, the Cubs winning it. Um, B would be two, because the Bears, actually, they did. Mm. Still kind of irked, but... They do. They have looked better. They had had good acquisitions from what I saw in the off season. Um, three would be uh, the White Sox winning the World Series. Four would be the Hawks fire Bowman and or Colladin. Five would be the Fire winning the Cup because the the Fire just they aren't there. They don't have they don't have the skill to win it all yet yeah i think based on what we were talking about the fire are a very young team they are still you know pretty inexperienced in the mls but i guess if i had to rank these scenarios from least to most 2020 and i put all the chicago well most of the chicago teams except for the bulls here for a reason since in general they are the teams that we ultimately support least 2020 so number five i am gonna go you know I'm going to go with the 
the Blackhawks firing Bowman and or Calden. I think despite I think despite even though what we saw in the playoffs I think was great. I think the fact that they uh, they uh, got rid of John McDonough back in April and put Danny Wirtz into that role. I think it kind of signaled that a new era is coming in Chicago hockey. And again, we don't want to infringe bad luck on anyone, but I think out of all these scenarios, would I be, you know, knowing how loyal Stan Bowman is and knowing how loyal that team is, even though there has been some turnover these past, you know, few seasons or so, especially with Joel Quenneville going about two years ago, I wouldn't, I would be surprised, but I wouldn't necessarily be shocked if one or both of those guys went. Um, number four, I'm going to say the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series just because I think the fact that I think I would be, again, I'd be surprised to see them win the World Series. I, I think it would be great for the city, though, be, just because of the fact that they still have some of those deficiencies in the bullpen. I do question Kimbrough a lot, and I'm not exactly sure what to expect out of John Lester, you Darvish, Kyle Hendricks. Two of those guys were on the World Series team, but I don't know what they're going to look like in the playoffs, how exactly they carry that over. So, I again, one of those scenarios that I'd be surprised to see them win the World Series, just given I think the Yankees and the Dodgers are the two big favorites, but I wouldn't be as surprised as these next three scenarios. Real quickly here, number three, I have the White Sox winning the World Series. I think that would be pretty surprising, given how young and inexperienced this team is, even though they have looked pretty good. I'm not exactly sure if they are there yet to be that World Series contender that I do want to see them be maybe give it, you know, maybe another year or two. But I think that would be pretty surprising. Number two, I have the Fire winning the MLS Cup. And number one, I have the Bears winning the Super Bowl. I I do think that looking at the Bears, we didn't really talk about football on this podcast. That might be something we do down the road. But just given the fact that Mitch Trubisky is very young. He hasn't exactly looked the way I think a lot of fans have wanted him to. Um, He does get quite a few interceptions here and there. And bringing in Nick Foles, who did help Philadelphia win that Super Bowl a few years ago, a nice add, but not guys that blow you away. The defense is good. I mean, we know what Khalil Mack can do bringing in, or I should say having Akeem Hicks back, who missed, I think, all of all last season from injury I think is going to be a huge confidence booster but again I think they're a team that I think 500 is really given what happened in the offseason they were kind of quiet aside from bringing in Folsen and a few other household names I think that's probably the best I see them doing this year and if they fail to you know meet those expectations if Trubisky struggles I think we could see some turnover I think Matt Nagy depending on the start they got off to could be on the hot seat but I I do think, though, that if the Bears did win the Super Bowl, and technically this would be in 2021, but with most of the season happening in 2020, I you know I still count it. I do think that would be pretty surprising in and of itself, but would I love to see it? Absolutely. So we are just about wrapped up here. I guess based on everything that we've talked about, Thomas, well, first of all, what are you – we talked about – you know, we've talked about what's been going on, but – with sports, what are you most looking forward to, I, I guess, in the foreseeable future, uh, just with all the professional leagues? Honestly, it's just seeing hockey. 
and well, and, well, and just seeing how they're gonna do all this stuff because they're even like the rest of the season, then into the off season, they're gonna pack so much into the off season. So just seeing seeing how they're gonna be able to pull that off, I'm very curious. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Just given that, it hopefully unless there's a major outbreak, which they've done a great job with the bubble so far, keeping this tournament COVID-free. They're projected to award the Cup in late September or early October and then get next season started, hopefully December 1st. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a very – it's obviously going to be a very quick off season, but just to see what teams do, man, you know, going forward. And then, of course, the Stanley Cup final, always a treat to watch. So even if it's a few months later, I'm really looking forward to that as well. For those of you who tuned in today, thank you so much. We very appreciate it, especially with this being our first episode. You know, something we've really wanted to do for a while now. I'm really excited to get this podcast up and running. And I think next time, by the time we record our next episode with the NFLs hopefully starting up, that's going to be something, you know, important to talk about as well as hockey and baseball and the like as usual. But that is all we have for today. So for my co-host, Thomas Kuhn, I am Connor Smith. I will see you next time on the Sports Soapbox.